friends and welcome to St Matthew's. It's great to see you all here both in the building and online. Uh, our experience with COVID has shaken up all sorts of things. Uh, but in this first hymn, we get to sing about the rock-solid foundation we have as we stand on the Lord Jesus. So let's stand and sing, Christ is our cornerstone. Welcome again to St. Matthew's. It's wonderful to see, see someone this morning who said, I've been watching you on television, Andrew. It's nice to see you in person. And uh, for others who've just recently rejoined us, it's, it's lovely to see our numbers swelling. Uh, but it's great to know that we're online as well uh, and uh, uh, we've got brothers and sisters watching uh, from home. Uh, by the way, my name is Andrew Graham for our guests. Uh, I'm one of the ministers here at St. Matthew's. And I've got a couple of roles overseeing this congregation and overseeing pastoral care uh, across the whole of St Matthew's. Now today we're looking forward to the next part in that story that changes everything from Mark's Gospel that we've been working through. And our Senior Minister Bruce will be speaking to us about a new episode, if I can use that word, uh, which involves Jesus, uh, a man who's afflicted by demons and a herd of pigs. And it's the kind of um, encounter that has the, the, the possibility of expanding your view of the, the nature of the world that we live in, as well as giving you much greater clarity about who Jesus is. And the whole of the first half of Mark's Gospel is devoted to answering that question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? So that's something to be looking forward to this morning. As well as that, uh, we'll, we'll be singing again, we'll be seeking the Lord in prayer, uh, and we'll be sharing together in the Lord's Supper, uh, which is a cue for those of you who are at home. If you haven't got a little bit of bread there and a cup to drink from, it'd be great to rustle that up before we get to the Lord's Supper towards the end of the service. But before we go any further, let me uh, lead us in committing our morning to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for a new day especially for a day to gather as your people. And we pray for your kindness to be shown to us 
in the way that you enable us to engage with you in prayer, in hearing your word, and in encouraging each other. We pray this for the honour of your name and for our own benefit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, now we've got a, an opportunity to say together what it is we believe about God's greatness and his love. And we're going to be reading a section from the book of Colossians. Please join me in this affirmation of faith. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself, things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Amen. There's a few things just to share with you about our life together here at St Matthew's. And the first thing is to add an extra welcome if you're new or visiting with us. Uh, we'd love to know that you've been here and uh, you could let us know, you could come and speak with me. Uh, you could use the QR code, especially if you're at home. We'd love to know that you've been online. That, that kind of communication is also helpful for anyone who may be in need within our congregation. And some people are shy about coming forward. They, they'll say to me when I find out later, oh, there, there are others who are in greater need, and there may be. But one of my jobs as the pastoral care minister is to link up people who are in need with those who'd be glad to help. We've got lots of people at St Matthew's who'd be glad to help you where you are. Uh, so please put your hand up if you need some help and uh, let us know. Or it may be that you're aware of someone within the congregation who's a bit shy about doing that, you could speak with them and encourage them to reach out for help, uh, or you could ask their permission to approach me or someone else on the team. We want to be a church that stands with each other during times of difficulty. Uh, we mentioned last week, I'll, I'll just remind you, that next month, uh, on, on the, um, the 20th of March, the Sunday, in the early afternoon, we'll be running uh, this year's Harbour Baptisms. Uh, for you, if you're a follower of Jesus, but you've never uh, gone through a baptism, uh, that'd be a really good thing to do. Uh, baptism uh, up the other end of the beach there by the ferry terminal up near the old uh, aquarium. Baptism is a, is a symbolic way of, of showing the washing clean that takes place through Christ and by his spirit as we turn to him. It's the sort of thing, it'd be good to have a conversation with someone, though, before you're baptised, and so that's why we're giving you prior notice. Please let us know if you'd like to talk about being baptised yourself. And the final thing I'll mention before Deb comes to lead us in prayer is that the week after the baptisms, we've got a church picnic. I've never been to a St Matthew's church picnic, uh, but this will be across in North Harbour, uh, running from 12 till 3 on the 27th. We'll give you more details as it gets closer to the day. That offers to be a wonderful opportunity, not just for folk from the 8 o'clock congregation to get together, but people from right across our four services. So that's coming up on the last Sunday of March. Thanks, Deb. Well, good morning to you all, and I want to echo... Andrew's pleasure at seeing people face to face. It's so lovely to see uh, some of you that I've only been in contact by email and this is your first Sunday back. And also to echo uh, what Andrew said about connecting. And I've been praying specially for you at home. If you're isolating and choosing to isolate to protect yourself or someone else and you're feeling lonely, please reach out because I know that some of you will be isolating and it, choosing to do that and having to do it. So please reach out for that reason. But I know that God can answer all our prayers and I've been praying for that group this week. So let's join in prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we know that we're in a battle that isn't always obvious. 
and we know that one of the best ways of facing that is to pray. We thank you that we can gather together in freedom to bring our prayers and requests before you and ask for your spirit to work through us so that you are known and glorified. Father, as we prepare for an election later this year, we ask that those seeking election be people that are willing to serve, to serve their electorates and to contribute to a government that works for the benefit of all. We pray that they be willing to bring dignity where it's lacking, recognition and advocacy where it's lacking, and deploy resources where they're most needed. Give them strength and wisdom from you to tackle the issues that they're presented with. And further away, Lord, we continue to bring the flashpoints in the world before you, thinking specifically of the Ukraine. We pray, Lord, that you bless the people there as they try to live out their lives with the threat of war, being ordered to evacuate. And particularly, we pray that you would bless and work through the believers that are there as they seek to comfort and help those around them. In our own church family, Father, we pray for protection over marriages here at St Matthew's. May the faithfulness of husbands and wives to each other flow out in love and blessing to their children and to their communities. We pray particularly for those married recently. There have been so many in the last few months, and we pray especially for Savannah and Daniel, who were married yesterday. Bless and protect them as they begin their lives together, united in you. Before we finish, Lord, we take a few seconds now to bring before you those we know who may need extra care and support right now. You, Lord, promise us a peace that passes all understanding. And we ask you that you fill us with that peace as we prepare for a new week. Thank you that we can spend time with you in prayer and praise and scripture. May we do it regularly and wholeheartedly. Enable us to flow with your hope and love to all those around us, for we know it's your great desire that people come to know you. Father, we ask all these things in the precious name of our Lord and Saviour. You are our mighty stronghold, Jesus. Amen. We're going to sing about what a mighty stronghold God is now, and this is going to be our collection hymn. Oh, my dear, strong, holy. 
Our reading this morning is from Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20, and you'll find it on page 1006 in the Church Bibles. So I'll give you a few moments to do that. They went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he'd often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this to the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, and told them about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the people, tell in the Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Here is the reading. Good morning, everyone, and good morning to those watching online. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We do thank you for this wonderful story of Mark's Gospel, and as we come to what are strange events for us in our modern world, I do pray you'd give us insight into this world that we live in, and the reality of evil, and the power of prayer, in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, as I start today, I want to take you back to my first year in ministry, and it was 1994, I was living in Unandera, probably not a suburb well known to many people here, Uh, it's on the southern part of the outskirts of Wollongong. I had two kids at the time, Rebecca and Sophie, Philip wasn't born, and I was rung by one of the church families who later I became friends with, we didn't know each other well, given it was only my first year, Uh, could I come and help their neighbours? Apparently they have a ghost in their house. Now let me say, um, I kind of stutteringly said, oh, I I think so. (laughs) And anyway, it was arranged for me to go and visit uh, this family, nice family, Alan, Sally, two kids, live next door to David and Julie. And I remember thinking, I don't remember the lecture at Moore College (laughs) on ghost eviction. (laughs) It was an introduction to a reality which I think in many ways was very academic for me growing up on the North Shore and then going into Newtown. Now, I know because you're going to sit there and wonder what happened, I'll just tell you very briefly. Uh, I did pray for the family, they ended up coming to faith in Christ, joined the church, 
and we prayed that the ghost would leave and it did. And it was a quite remarkable thing to be a part of that and see what took place. I don't want to glamorise it in any way, but it did reveal something to me. Every now and again as a pastor, you encounter situations that remind you that the world we live in is not flesh and blood alone, but that there's a spiritual world that's very real that you need to understand as you live in and minister to. And that day in my first year of ministry was one of those days that kind of woke me up and helped me realise that what we read in the Gospels is actually still real today. And I started this way to recount the story because as we come to the Bible reading, Mark chapter 5, if you've got your Bibles there, I'd love you to have them out, uh, page 1006. It's a very striking story about the reality of evil, of demons, of the devil and the impact that that has and can have in people's lives. And as we begin today, um, I just realised I haven't got my clicker with me. Um, it's all right, I'll just say click, Stuart, and uh, if you can click. Are oh, you going to bring it down? Good man. Uh, although I just noted the stage screen is not on. Anyway, um, I want to ask this question, and each week I've preached the last couple of weeks, I've had a question for you. First one was, what is your hearing like? If you remember Mark 4, uh, last week it was about your faith. Today, it's about prayer. And I want you to think about your prayer life as we go through this talk. And I'm going to come back to that, but how important is prayer for you is really the pastoral question I want to come to at the end of our time together. Um, in our journey through chapters 4 to 8 of Mark's Gospel, we come to this very powerful story of what you would today call an exorcism. And there's a weightiness to what I'm talking about here today. But I also want to say it's a very important message to take to heart. And there's three things I want to look at. Um, yes, they're up on the screen, thank you. Evil encountered, evil confronted and evil overcome. And so that's where we're going. Firstly, let's think of evil encountered. If you missed last week's message in the preceding section of the story in Mark's Gospel, Jesus has calmed a raging storm. We had some wonderful boat stories to re, uh, relive and it was a kind of rollicking good time as we stood in awe of this man Jesus, who the story reveals through his actions is God in the flesh. Well, today it's different. There's no wind, there's no waves. Rather, we're confronting the dark side of evil. And so I'm going to pick up from where Peggy read, chapter 5, verse 1, and just read the first five verses. If you've got your Bibles there, let's have a look. I've just got one verse on the screen. Let me read verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. So they'd been in the lake, they'd had the storm, Jesus had calmed it, they end up in this place called the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Uh, what's being described here is he's possessed by an evil spirit or a demon for whatever language you want to use. Verse 3, this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. And so the region that they've come to and literally where they've got out of the boat is like a cemetery and it's possible that there were tombs cut out of the rock uh, but it's the place where the dead were buried uh, and he is there amongst them. He'd been often chained hand and foot, verse 4, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And so it's highly likely that this is Gentile territory and we say that because uh, the Jewish people with their food laws would not have had large herds of pigs. And so Jesus has gone to a Gentile area and there would have been uh, a village there. That's not where they've landed. They've landed in a cemetery and this man who is in a sense wild, thank you Stuart, is the one they encounter and he's got an evil spirit. It's not just an evil spirit, um, it's a spirit that has taken over his life, physically. He is not well. And if you encountered him today, you would think him crazy. 
He had this supernatural strength that chains could not bind him. The man was shunned. He'd been run out of town by the villagers, most likely in fear. And Christian writer Max Licardo writes this about him in a book he wrote reflecting on some of the stories in the Gospels and trying to help us see what a modern-day equivalent would be. He's the man your mum told you to avoid. He's the fellow the police routinely lock up. He's the deranged man who stalks neighbourhoods and murders families. This is the face that fills the screens during the evening news. He would have been a scary person to encounter. Now, what we're talking about here today is demon possession. And I know for some of us, you might ask, is demon possession real? And it's a good question to ask. It's a very valid question to ask. But let me just say, if that's how you're thinking today, then what is happening is that your natural intuitions about life are taking over and they're telling you that's not the world I live in. And you see, all of us will have our own intuitions about how we perceive reality and what is reality. And if today you're thinking, well, that can't be real, this story doesn't fit my reality, uh, you would not be alone in thinking this and feeling this. Uh, it's very interesting in preparing for this message, and let me just say, Scott was actually meant to speak today. Uh, he's become a close contact. His son is COVID positive. I found out late in the week uh, that I was preaching. Uh, let me say, I love preaching, so I feel sad for Scott, but happy to be able to preach. Um, Scott was listening to Nightlife on ABC on Monday night. And on the program, Philip Clark was interviewing the professor of psychology from Swinburne University of Technology. And they were talking about um, all things to do with psychology and the way people are classified in terms of the uh, formal ways. And listen to what he said. Unverified false beliefs, like a parent's belief that a child was possessed by the devil, is an absolutely archetypal positive symptom of a psychotic condition of the parent, not of the child, and psychologists would have no trouble generally identifying that person as having a mental illness. Now, let me just deconstruct that for you. What he's saying is, if you're a parent and you think your child is possessed by the devil, then you have a psychotic problem. You have a mental illness. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? To think someone is possessed by the devil is evidence that you've got a mental health problem. Now, he did make some allowances on the program for what might be called culturally acceptable beliefs in a person's culture. But he clearly considered believing in something like demon possession is like believing in fairy tales or mythology and basically an inferior belief and was probably part and parcel of a person having mental illnesses. Now, I want to say, in highlighting what Professor Murray is saying, I'm actually not critical of him. And I'm not wanting to bag him out in many ways because in many ways he's just reflecting the dominant worldview that all of us have. And what you would call that is naturalism or materialism. Now for those who are not familiar with uh, philosophy and naturalism, naturalism, and I've got it here on the screen, is the philosophical belief that everything arises from natural properties and causes. And supernatural or spiritual explanations are excluded or discounted. And let me just say, this is the philosophical air that all of us breathe. Okay? Now, it really arose about 100 years ago in the early to mid-20th century with a number of people, uh, philosophers. I won't go into the history of it, but it's a more recent take on reality. But this is absolutely how our world operates. And so if your natural intuition, as you read this story, is to say, this can't be possible, what I want to say to you is, you are reflecting more of your culture than the reality that the Bible is talking about. And I want to say, Jesus is the one who should shape our worldview. And what you see here is that our worldview does include a spiritual reality. I'm going to put up on the screen a verse from Philippians chapter 2. It's a very well-known passage. It's the hymn about the Lord Jesus. 
And it talks about those wonderful words that he who, though was very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped and became human. And then it finishes by saying, verse 9, Therefore God exalted him with his resurrection and ascension to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And this is how I want you to understand reality. There is a world above. There is heaven. God is there with his angels. That is real. There is earth that we live on. It's physical. It is real. We know that. But there is also a reality of a place, a region, a dwelling, a sphere, whatever language you want to use, that is actually under the earth. And it's the world inhabited by Satan and evil spirits. And it's very real. And it intersects with this earthly world that we live in. And it absolutely influences what goes on here. And the reason people can become demon-possessed, I think, is because there's doorways that we can open up for this spiritual world to come into our life. And I often say to people, do not open yourself up or open the door to the forces of darkness by getting involved in any spiritual activities outside of the gospel. They all give opportunity for the devil to come in and personally affect you. Satan has a real power. And his demons have real powers. And they will use them to take people away from the gospel and from God and lead them to hell. That is the devil's aim. Now, it's interesting to note, the main way he does that is actually by temptation and accusation and telling lies. John's gospel speaks of the devil as the father of lies. And so he works incredibly subtly in our lives to distract us and to deceive us as to what reality is. And the fact that this world does not believe in the devil in a real sense in Australia, well, the devil thinks he's done his job. And what you see here in Mark 5 with this poor man is a person who somehow opened that doorway to the realm of evil to come into his life and he was physically possessed by them. His spirit had been taken over by them and it was physically controlling him in a way that he was unable to take control of. Chains could not hold him. He was thrown out of town. Well, that's evil encountered. Let's think about evil confronted. I'm going to read on from verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, this is the demon-possessed man, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of Most High God? In God's name, do not torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. And so if I can do it in a chronological fashion, what came first was Jesus came to the man and called for the demon to come out. And the demon, knowing who is speaking to him, says to Jesus, What do you want with me? Don't torture me. Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion. He replied, For we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Now, there's a lot of fascinating things you could go down wormholes with here. I'm not going to, okay? But what we do learn is there are many demons in this life, not just one. And when the demons see Jesus, they are afraid. And they beg him, don't send us away. And interestingly, as was the case in Mark chapter 1, verse 25, when Jesus first began his ministry and the evil spirit there spoke to Jesus, this legion of demons know who they're dealing with, the Son of the Most High God. 
And what we see here, as was the case in Mark chapter 1, with a mere word, Jesus takes control. And what happens is as follows, verse 11, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. I think they thought we had escaped, but Jesus was way too clever for them. They were destroyed. Verse 14, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who'd been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. So Jesus evicts the demons with a word, he sends them to a pack of pigs, they go off the cliff, they're all destroyed, the man is healed. I know there's lots of questions with this fascinating story that I am not going to answer. I'm going to disappoint some here today. But I want you to see here that evil is real. And it is personal in the form of demons. It's not just like Star Wars where you have the force and the dark side. This is personal. And it's real. And it entraps people. But it is no match for the Son of God. The demons quiver at his voice, they're cast out with a word. And it's worth stopping and just reflecting on this because you see, when it comes to the devil, there's hardly ever a battle. The only time that I can think of a struggle that's recorded is actually in Daniel, and it's not with God, it's with the archangel angel Michael having some sort of battle and being pushed back in some sort of spiritual warfare. But when it comes to God and his encounters with Satan and Jesus with demons, there is never a battle. He is always victorious. It's never difficult. And there's never even a hint that the devil will win. And I say this because in modern Christian literature, in some circles, it's often portrayed that the battle between God and the devil is like a heavyweight boxing match that goes down to the wire. It doesn't. It's a first round knockout. Jesus walks in the ring and just bang, he's dead. Well, not dead, but destroyed, thrown out. The demons are always afraid of Jesus. They're cast out and destroyed. And the reason I emphasize that is because as you think about the spiritual battles and struggles that we get caught up in, we need to claim our authority in Christ. And in Christ, we have an authority to stand against the devil and all of his schemes. That's what Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 to 17 teaches. And your identity in Christ, who you are, is so important that when temptation comes... When lies and deception comes, which is how the devil will work, we can stand against them in Jesus' name and tell them to go. And if you're ever confronting pure evil, in Jesus' name you have authority. In Christ, the victory is won. And we just need to call upon him in prayer and claim that victory and access his power. Well, let's think thirdly about evil overcome. That was evil confronted. And as I said, there's numbers of fascinating issues. The pack of pigs, why'd they run off a cliff? As I said, I'm not going to deal with those today. I do want to highlight, though, what the story highlights, which is the response of the two groups, the villagers and the man. And it's interesting, they both come and beg Jesus for something. Verse 16, those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. And you see, they were afraid. And essentially, they were confronted with Jesus' incredible power, but all they're concerned about is their economic loss. They cannot rejoice 
that this man who was bound by evil is now free. And they just ask Jesus to leave. They beg him to leave. But what's fascinating is the demon-possessed man, the demoniac as he's often called, also begs Jesus but for something very different. As Jesus gets into the boat, the man who'd been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Can I come and travel with you? And I want you to know what happens. Jesus did not let him but said, go home to your own people. In other words, back to these villagers who don't want me. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. Now, just note this. Who is the first Christian missionary ever recorded? It's this guy. I don't know if you thought about it, but you see, typically when Jesus ministers and heals someone or does some amazing miracles for them, he tells them to be quiet, but not this guy. And it's interesting, in this Gentile region, he says, go away and tell them how much God has had mercy on you, what the Lord has done for you. And I just think it's such a beautiful thing. Who is the first Christian missionary? It's this completely messed up guy that the world had shunned and he's the one who announces the mercy of God. And that is the nature of the gospel, that he takes the broken, the downtrodden, the destroyed and he heals them and fixes them and makes them new in Christ and he sends them out to speak of his mercy and grace because you see that's what the gospel is all about. It's not about politeness and self-righteousness, it's about mercy and grace that makes us new people. But let's think deeper about what this story teaches us. And I want to ask the question in relation to that, how important is prayer to you? Because as you read this, what strikes me is that it's a very powerful story about evil and the reality of it and Jesus' conquest of it, his victory over it. And we do live in a world and an age that is soaked in naturalism and materialism that just sees reality in terms of this physical world we live in and takes no account of the spiritual world that is very real. And what's interesting is you go through Mark's Gospel, there is this very distinct and strong spiritual background to the Gospel from the very first chapter, from the introduction which we looked at last year. When Jesus was baptised, do you remember what happened after his baptism? He went out to the desert and we record that there he was tempted by who? Satan. Then as he starts his first public ministry, what happens? He encounters a demon. Mark chapter 1, verse 23 and 24. And then in Mark chapter 1, verse 34, his second ministry assignment, among other things, involved driving out demons from people. In Mark 3, verse 11, we read this, Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and they cried out, You are the Son of God. And then last week, or sorry, two weeks ago, with Mark chapter 4, the sowing of the seeds... Why was the first group of people not fruitful? Because the devil came and stole the word away. And that's how the devil operates. He steals the truth from us. He's the father of lies. He will bring deception and untruth to bear and influence our thinking. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, Paul describes the work of the devil as the one who is blinded the minds of unbelievers. That's how he works. He snatches the word away from us. And you see, when you understand this, you'll realise the incredible power and necessity of prayer. And prayer is the tool that we are given by God to minister in this world we live in. If we are to fight the battle and see God's church grow through the gospel and gain the victory, we need to be people and we need to be a church that is calling on God to protect us 
and empower us in ministry because, you see, the devil is always at work. And I sometimes say, I can hear and I can smell and I can feel the sulphur bubbling up from hell as I go about my job. Because you just realise, as you seek to take the gospel out, the devil is doing all he can to stop it. And the reality is we have physical bodies and medicine helps enormously with that and we need to treat physical problems with that. We have minds and education and counselling are enormously helpful with this. But there's more going on for us as humans than what you can reduce to both physical and mental dimensions. But that is how our world operates. It sees us as body and mind, not body, mind and spirit. And all three things make up who we are. I mean, here's a verse for you, 1 John 5, 19, that would seem crazy to the professor of psychology from Swinburne University. We know that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. That is the reality that we have to grasp. And all of us are caught up, all of us here, not just me, not just the stuff, all of us are caught up in a spiritual battle and a spiritual world and we are in over our heads. There are forces that we battle with every day that we cannot see, that we're affected by and are greater than we can battle in our own physical strength. And we need to know this and we need this insight to make sense of ourselves, our world and to make sense of how we solve the problems that are confronted to us in this world, particularly in ministry, but also just in life. You see, the problems of society won't be solved merely by education or merely by counselling or merely by medication or merely by human accountability, even though each and every one of those is very important. And if you've got a physical illness, go to your doctor. If you've got a psychological condition, go and see a counsellor or a psychologist. Absolutely, I come from a medical family. But... There are spiritual forces that need to be defeated and that's what the gospel does. It proclaims the victory of Christ over the devil, over the forces of evil. And you see, when we talk about Christ coming, we'll often say he came to forgive us our sins. We'll often say he came to restore us to God. But here's one from 1 John. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil. That's why he also came. And you see, this is a massive challenge to the educated. And that is us. I remember reading the census from 211, and our education levels are about twice what the nation has here in Manly. For someone to have multiple degrees is fairly normal here. And what that means is, here at St Matthews, we can end up running church in a way that look like book reading clubs. We think that if we win the war of ideas, then we've won. Or that, that we can be winning the battle to grow the church by being more proficient with management. Or marketing, it'll make us look more attractive and we'll grow. And let me just say, I'm not against learning the Bible. Absolutely, I want us to read it and live it and believe it. And I'm not against good management. I'm all for it. And I'm not against trying to put our best foot forward in promoting St Matthews in the community. But none of these matter. Let me say, none of them. If we won't deal with and confront the reality that Paul says in Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And what this means is prayer must, and I say must, be an essential part of our ministry. Why do you think I come down here at 7 o'clock every Tuesday morning to pray? Why do you think we have a week of prayer and fasting at the start of the year? And I want to ask you the question, what part does prayer play in your life because if it doesn't play much part what that tells me and what it should tell you is you really don't think that there's a spiritual battle going on because once you get this you realize all of our efforts count for nothing if we don't pray and when you see this story you see the one who, with a word, overthrows evil. And we access his power as we pray 
and we proclaim his gospel and the victory he has. So let me ask you the question, how important is prayer really to you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is a confronting passage that disturbs our vision of reality. But yet it reminds us that Christ has the victory. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us that deep conviction and that deep sense of wanting to pray every morning, every lunchtime, every night, and to see that the battle is won on our knees and in the proclamation of the victory in Christ in the gospel. May we learn that well here in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Andrew. Just while I'm getting organised here, you might like to get organised with your bread and your cup. Okay, so it's time for us to share together in the Lord's Supper. I should have also checked, does anyone need a little communion pack? Vivian's got plenty of them at the back. Uh, Julia would like one down the front here. Just down the front here, Vivian. Everyone else okay? Uh, it's Julia just here, yeah. Thanks, Vivian. 
So friends, as we um, share together in the Lord's Supper, we're, we're partaking in a simple ceremonial meal, uh, which has a long tradition, conducted in different ways amongst Christians, going way back to the last meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. So as in a moment, we take a little bit of bread and we drink from a cup in a very concrete way. We're, we're there, if you like with Jesus and his disciples on the night he was betrayed, on the night before he went to the cross. Uh, it's a way of entering into all that he taught them about the significance of what would take place as he went to the cross. Uh, this is how the scriptures describe it. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, after the meal, Jesus took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So in preparing ourselves to share together this morning in the Lord's Supper, it's, it's a proper thing we do that we acknowledge our part in the death of Christ, that it was our sins that took him to the cross. And even though we may have known him for many years, we continue to fall short of the glory of God and fall short of the way his people ought to be, ought to be living. So let's make a humble confession of our sins to Almighty God confident in the victory of Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you have loved us with an everlasting love, but we have often gone our own way and rejected your will for our lives. We are sorry for our sins and turn away from them. For the sake of your Son who died for us, forgive us, cleanse us and change us. By your Holy Spirit, Enable us to live for you and to please you in every way. For the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And the victory of Christ on the cross, at the cross, was complete over sin and evil and the devil. And so we can be confident that as we come to him pleading for forgiveness, he grants it willingly to us. So brothers and sisters, let's, let's take the bread this morning. Let's take and eat this, remembering the body of Christ which was given for us and be thankful. And let's take the cup, remembering the blood of Christ which was poured out for us and which has established a new covenant of forgiveness with God through him. Now please join me in this prayer of thanksgiving and of dedication. Father of all, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your Son and brought us home. Dying and living, he declared your love, gave us grace and opened the gate of glory. May we who share Christ's body live his risen life. We who drink his cup bring life to others. We whom the Spirit lights give light to the world. Keep us in this hope that we have grasped, so we and all your children shall be free, and the whole earth live to praise your name. Amen. Well, friends, it's been one of those mornings as we've listened to Jesus engaging with the world that is there, the whole of that world, uh, for us to expand our understanding of what this world is like. Uh, to get over a very narrow view of the world which we're subject to in a materialistic 
naturalistic world uh, view that dominates Western society. Uh, we've heard this morning that evil is real and personal. Uh, the person of the devil is real and dangerous. And yet the person of Jesus Christ has conquered him at the cross. And he's demonstrated his victory through his resurrection. So as much as we're out, our sense of the dangers of this world is heightened by this message, so is our sense of the greatness of Jesus and the security that we have as we have him as our Lord. And so we're stirred to pray, to pray for him to do what he can alone do, to protect us and to work mightily amongst us so that there might be, might be more like that, uh, that man who was overcome by the influence of demons, might be freed to serve him, to live for him, to make him known. Would you like to stand as we uh, bless each other with the words of the grace? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. You might have to leave straight away, but if you don't, please come and join us for morning tea.